Welcome back to Alphabet Soup. This is your host, Neva Hidejat. Allow me to introduce today's special guest. Michael Beavers is a licensed marriage and family therapist with 25 years of experience and who earned his Bachelor of Arts in Liberal Studies from San Francisco State University and his Master of Science in Counseling Psychology from California Baptist University. He is also a leadership coach and the founder and the CEO of Mountain Counseling and Training and Clinic, an organization with a focus on helping individuals discover and utilize their strengths to break through the boundaries to their success. Hi, Mr. Michael. Thanks for coming on to the show today. Hey, th- thank you. This is really, really cool, and I'm really glad to get to be to be a part of this. So, you always speak about having about the importance of having a reason to start something, and of having a why and starting from there. So, why did you create MCT? Yeah, that's a great question, and you're right that we we often talk around here about about the idea that Simon Sinek started the idea of start with why, and the the why of mountain counseling and training. We've now been in existence. This is um, this is about our tenth year, and the why of mountain counseling and training. I think the easiest way to say it is is that I started it because after doing many things in my career, it became clear to me that. I needed to be in an environment where I was creating things, where I was creating things from scratch. I found that I am really, really good at creating things, at coming up with ideas and coming up with strategies and selecting people to carry out those strategies and creating great teams. But I'm not very good at maintaining things. I'm not very good at maintaining things that other people have created. And so it became clear to me that, that I really needed to, to have an environment where 90% of my time was going to be all about creation, all about um, playing out my, my creative strengths. And at that point, I didn't even know the Gallup strengths very well. But now that I know the Gallup strengths better, I realized that, that my biggest strength is strategic, is what Gallup calls strategic. I love being able to look at problems and to look at resources and to figure out how are we going to create strategies, create plans, and and how are we going to change the world. And I think a part of why I wanted to create this is because I wanted to be surrounded by people that when I say things like change the world, they don't roll their eyes. They don't think that that's crazy, that they think that's a that's a reasonable thing that we can do that, that we can change the world. Maybe not for all of the, of the 40 million folks in slavery right now, which would be great, but can we change it for one person? Can we change it for 10 people or for 100 people that are in slavery? And we absolutely believe that we can do that. So I think the biggest reason is I, I needed to be in a place where I got to create things and I got to, to play out my strengths. Not that maintainers are bad. Maintainers are great. We need people to maintain things. I'm just not a maintainer. I'm definitely a creator. And then the final reason I'd say is 
Mountain Counseling gives me an opportunity every single day to hang out with people that I love and respect and that I benefit from their strengths and their abilities and their passion and their desire to change the world. And hanging out with them helps make me the best that I can be. So I'm getting, I'm getting the, best, the best deal I could possibly imagine. So I think that's my big answer to why this was created. If we think about it from just my selfish point of view, I wanted a place where I could create. I wanted a place where I could change the world. And I wanted to gather people who had that same passion. That's great. You, you are a leader yourself and you're a leadership coach. So I'm sure it's, in, and your organization is strengths-based. I mean, it's so much, so much more. Like you said, the anti-slavery is something that you guys are working towards, which I think is cool. So because you are a strengths-based organization and you like to create, why is it important to you that the people you work with discover their own strengths? Well, again, if I put it in selfish terms, the easiest way to answer that is to say, if the people around me, like you and like and like Kelly and all the different people that are that are are engaging with this organization, if they're not discovering their strengths and if they're not playing out their strengths most of the time, then again, just to put it crassly, they're boring. They're boring, and it's boring for me to hang out with with them because they're being mediocre or poor performers because that's what happens when people don't play to their strengths. So, so again, just to put it in s- s- selfish terms, the most exciting thing I could possibly do would be to create an environment where people are playing to their strengths. And according to the Gallup research, and Gallup has researched this literally all over the planet, that according to the Gallup research, you are going you are most likely to become a superstar by focusing 80% or more of your time, of your energy, and people around you doing the same thing for you on your strengths. So if I do that, you have the greatest opportunity to become a superstar, which is a great thing for you, but it's also the best thing for me because it's it's the most exciting. It's the least boring thing I could imagine. Right? So I get to surround myself with people that are striving to be superstars and I get to also be striving for that same thing myself. I'm playing to my strengths. They're playing to their strengths. And then we have this thing called synergy about we're creating things together that we could have never created if we were apart. We could have never created them by ourselves. So I think that's my big answer. That's why, that's why this environment matters. I mean, if mountain counseling wasn't here, all of these people would still be amazing people, but they might not, they might not have been able to develop to their highest potential because they might not have had people around them constantly saying what we say around here so much. We ask people pretty much every single week, we ask people, so what, what percentage of your last week did you spend playing to your strengths? And then we have a conversation about that, right? So we want to know, all right, and if it's it's a high number, great. How can we make it even higher? If it's a low number, how can we tweak things to make it even higher? How can we help you to play to your strengths? And then our next question is always, how can we resource you so that you can play to your strengths even more? And if that's really happening, if there's an atmosphere of trust, if that's really happening, then 
then the potential for for world change, I think, is is huge. So, how can you take full advantage of your strengths? Like some people may not have that environment where you can, you know, take your strengths and make them into your own superpowers. And so, what's your advice for people who have those strengths, or they they may know about their strengths, but they don't know how to utilize them? Well, one one thing I could say is, if you're not sure about how to do that, apply for a job with us. Because one of the things we are going to we are going to do in the pre-hire process before we even decide to hire you is that we're gonna we're we're gonna make you go and buy a book that is the the strength finders test, right? So so and that's gonna cost twenty bucks. In fact, when people apply for jobs, we pay for the book. We feel so strongly about it, but. They're going to take this this test. That's going to give them their top five strengths. They're going to read a chapter about each strength, and all of this process takes probably, including taking the test, probably takes two hours total. So I think that's the best answer. Then you know what your unique set of five top strengths are. Now, once you've done that, once you've done that, and you know what your top five strengths are. And and you've explored them because and let's say you've spent several months exploring them. The next thing you can do is there is to look at the next five. So then you have your top ten strengths, and that's a really good complete picture of what your strengths are likely to be, right? So I would say I would say that's the first thing to do. But find out what your strengths are, and strength the strength the strengths test is the best way to do that. Find out what your strengths are and then share them with people. Be constantly dialoguing with people about what plays to your strengths, what excites you, what what is a frustration to you. And be be constantly engaged with them about your strengths and about theirs. And I think that's the best way to to play to your strengths, best way to build relationships. It's the best way to, to have a life that not only is going to be impactful, but also is going to be the most significant, exciting for you. Right. Uh, when I first came to Mountain Counseling and Training, I took the Strengths Finder test too, and I found out what my top five strengths are. Uh-huh. And speaking from my own experience as well, I feel like once I found out what those strengths were, then I was able to kind of make connections with how I use them in my everyday life and notice, oh, that correlates to this strength that I have. So I start to notice things a bit more, which kind of helps and I think is cool because I wouldn't have noticed it before. Yeah, yeah. and when you get more advanced, when you get more, and you might be you might be there now, but when you get more advanced in the whole strengths thing, another thing beyond this, the 10 strengths, beyond the top 10, another thing that's really cool to learn about yourself is that you take what they call the 34. See, there are 34 strengths, and you take the 34 test. Really, it's the same test. They just give you the report of they rank every single strength. So not only do you know your top five, not only do you know your top 10, but you also know your bottom five. And so if you learn that a certain strength is in your bottom five, what the strength philosophy says is, don't waste a lot of time trying to become good in that area. Just build relationships with people that are already good in that area. Um, because the, the reality is, 
you're not likely to develop additional strengths, especially if, if it's number 33 for you, you're probably never going to be good at that. That's probably kind of like saying, I want, I want Bob Dylan to do, to do my taxes. Bob Dylan really good at music. I'll bet he sucks at taxes. I'll bet he's not good at that at all. Right. And so, so learning about your strengths, that's 80% of it. Learning about your weaknesses might be 10% of it might be 10% to, because you want to do what we call managing around your weaknesses. You want to create life experiences, create relationships, create um, job experiences and so on that make it so that your weaknesses don't have to happen very much. It's not much of an issue. Um, I am not particularly strong in accounting, but I've got somebody on staff here who's amazing in accounting. It'd be silly to have me do budgets when he lives and breathes that stuff. He absolutely loves that. Right. So sometimes you need to get people around you to fill in for the gaps that your personality has. Yeah, that's that's good advice. I uh, I think it's easy to feel like you aren't special and you like you have no strengths. So I think it's amazing that you dedicate an organization to helping people see through those blind spots and realize that you don't have to be strong at everything. You can have weaknesses and you need to connect with people who can collaborate with you so that those weaknesses aren't as prevalent. Yeah, the one thing we know about everybody on the planet is nobody is without strengths. That, that, um, so if, it's, if there's a self-esteem issue, if people have been getting messages either from themselves or from other people that they're, they're, they're not valuable or they don't have strengths, there's no doubt that every person on the planet can be a superstar, but they can only be a superstar in the area of their strengths. So everybody has strengths. You just have to find out what they are. And a way to do that, you mentioned the Gallup Strengths Finder. So I was wondering, did you ever have a bit of doubt that the test system was wrong? Like maybe one of your results was something you could never have imagined could be one of your strengths? Well, I've taken the test a couple of different times and it doesn't always come out the same way. So, so I would say, I would say having slightly different strength sets is not a problem. Um, I would say the bigger issue, and this is kind of a problem for us and that we do ask people to take it in a pre-hire process, but the bigger issue is that it is a danger it's a danger to try to present yourself the way you want to be rather than the way you are. So if there's one piece of advice that we want to give people about whether you're taking the Myers-Briggs or whether you're taking the strengths test, if we want you to be who you are. We don't want you to try to be somebody that you're trying to be, right? We, we don't want you to, to, to present. We want you to really reflect who are you really. And we actually think that's going to be really important. Um, but as far as my confidence level, um, in the, in the testing, I would say the two instruments that I know that are in, in the world of psychology, the world of research that are the most researched on the planet. I think the very top two, I would say, number one is the Gallup test. Gallup knows how to 
research. They ask questions. That's all they do. They ask questions and they analyze data. That's what they do. And they do it across the entire planet. So this isn't an American thing or a Japanese thing or a Mexican thing. This is a human thing, right? So I think that it's easy to have confidence in the Gallup strength finders because they've done a really good job in isolating 34 strengths. There aren't like 500 strengths. They're like, okay, they've isolated 34 and they've described them really, really well. So they're really useful. So it's easy to have confidence in that. In the same way, I'd say the Myers-Briggs is one of the most researched tools on the planet. And so um, it's not going to tell you anything about like depression or anxiety, um, but it is going to tell you about things like preferences. What is your personality? Are you an extroverted person? Are, are you a structured person? Uh, uh, are you somebody who's structured? Are you somebody who's really strong in talking about feelings or just or talking about facts? And those are good things to know about yourself. They're not good or bad, but they are good or bad for certain things, right? So being an extroverted person makes it easy for me to do this kind of thing. This kind of thing is candy for me. This is really, really easy. However, you give me a task like next week I need to spend, um, actually in the next month, I need to spend hours in front of a computer doing research and writing. That's important. And I totally care about that, but that's not, that's not the easiest thing for me to do because I don't get energy from the computer. I don't get energy from the research. I get energy from people. So as I'm doing that, I will come up with excuses to discuss the research and discuss the writing with people because the energy for me comes from that. Is that a good or bad thing? No, it's just it's just me. It's just how I'm wired. Right. So learning that about yourself so you can you can maximize you can maximize the strengths, but also so that you can not fight against who you are. You cannot fight against the way that you're that you're built. So what what is your uh, Myers-Briggs personality? So, well, one thing to know about me in terms of the Myers-Briggs is that now some people are are what, what we call balanced on the Myers-Briggs, right? So like if you're talking about, so are you an introverted person or an extroverted person? Some people are like right in the middle. Okay, well, now there's advantages to that because you can play either of those. And so that's gonna be a good thing for you. But as far as the the Myers-Briggs test, those people honestly are less interesting because they're less, the the information is less dramatic. And I've done this for graduate students over, over the years and People that are balanced look at the Myers-Briggs and they say, okay, fine, yeah, I'm kind of in the middle. Um, People that are very strong on one side or another say, this is magic. This test knows everything about me, right? This test can predict everything I care about. It predicts every plan I've ever made. It predicts predicts everything about me, right? And so so some people are balanced. Some folks are not. The reason I bring all that up is because I am an E-N- and then the and then feeling and then p perceiving so and as an as that particular type i am off the charts on every single one of them so i'm one of those people who you can you can describe that type and you can and and you will get really really close to who i am and it will predict a lot about me right so that's very helpful in terms of prediction and in terms of understanding, but it also means that there's going to be areas that I'm weak in and areas that I need to figure out, okay, how can I, how can I gather people around me who can fill in some of those gaps? Um, 
I am an ENTJ. Uh-huh. And on the J, are you really strong? Uh-huh. Okay. Like, I think right. it was 80-something percent okay. for the J. All right. And so my guess is that, that your grades in school are really boring. They're like straight A's, right? Straight age, right? <laughs> yeah. hmm You know, another thing that's interesting, though, is uh, in regards to the Gallup Strengths Finder, my third, maybe you could give me some advice on this. My number three strength is responsibility, but I feel like I'm the biggest procrastinator in the world. So I get things done, but I wait to the last minute to do something about it. Um, and I was wondering if you could maybe give me some insight about why, why I'm like that if one of my strengths is responsibility. Well... One thing we have to remember about strengths is that just because it's a strength doesn't mean right now you're good at it. It just means that it's part of who you are. And as you become a superstar, it's part of what you're going to want to develop. So somebody who has a high responsibility strength and somebody who also is struggling with procrastination my guess is, and also they're the strong J, so they're going to be very, they're going to be very structured. So if I was trying to coach somebody like you, I know that if we come up with a plan and we come up with a 10-step plan about you resolving procrastination, you're going to throw the switch and do the plan. You are going to follow through with that plan. And if we, if we tie steps of that plan to dates and times, then we'll will put you in the habit of eliminating procrastination just because we've given you a structure. Now, for you to procrastinate, for me, I am a strong P. So I'm really strong in terms of being unstructured. But I also realize I'm a CEO. There are certain things that I have to do that have to get done. And if they don't get done at a certain time, it could cost us thousands of dollars. It's a big deal. It has to happen. As a, as a clinician, really important for me that certain things get done. I have to do my billing, my charting, and so on. Those things have to get done. Is that naturally going to happen from my personality? Absolutely not. I have lots of tools that make it so that it's really easy for me to not procrastinate. So maybe the answer to you it, for you in, in the procrastination issue is get something or someone to do it for you. And if you don't happen to have a staff of three folks that are work, work, working for you, um, which at this stage in your life you probably don't, then, then you, can have, you, you can have software tools or you can have structured things outside of you to help structure you. For example, the Asana task manager that we use around here, it's a great tool to structure folks. So even though I would much rather just let my day flow I have a list of 20 things that before I go to bed tonight, I'm going to have them done because Asana is going to remind me, okay, you need to get this done. And this has to get done by this date and by this time. So having the external tool to help you with the procrastination and also to ask yourself with somebody who is a high responsibility, high J, why is it that you're procrastinating? Um, and, And then figure out what those reasons are, and then see if there's anything just obvious about, okay, well, how do I address that? What am I going to solve about that? Am I procrastinating because I've got too many things on my plate? Am I procrastinating because I really, I'm not very good at saying no? 
because um, that's often the reason people procrastinate. I've coached lots of people. I don't find most people are lazy. I find most people have problems like they procrastinate because they don't know how to say no. Um, and then they said yes, and now they've got these obligations, and they're impossible. They can't possibly get them all done. And if I can't get them all done, why should I have to do any of them, right? I mean, the procrastination thing basically says to me, why should I have to do that? What if I had a discipline of calmly, confidently thinking about any demands that are put on me and to either pause or to, or to reflect about, is this a good idea or not? And this gets into the whole idea because this really, I always feel like when I, when I talk to folks about, about um, how to be coached or how to be leaders, I always feel like everything kind of comes back to one idea. If you have a life mission and it is carefully crafted, it solves every problem that you have, right? So the, the reason why you're procrastinating is because, number one, you may not have a clear life mission. Number two, if you do have a clear life mission, you may be distracting yourself. You may be doing things that aren't in it. But if you have a clear life mission, then you know what you should be doing. And, and you know how to say no to everything else. Steve Jobs was famous for saying a huge part of Apple's success was that on one conference table, they could fit everything they've ever made. They've said no to thousands of things. They've said no to many, many things. And that's a part of Apple's success. They're now the most successful organization on the planet. I think that that's exactly how we become successful. I need to know how to say no to the right things. If I'm spending two hours washing my car, that's a pretty good example of a waste of my life in relationship to my life mission. Because my life mission doesn't have anything to do with my car being clean. My car being clean might deserve 10 minutes, but it doesn't deserve two hours. And the life mission absolutely does, does, deserves all the time, all the resources, all the passion that I can supply to it. Okay. So if my life mis- mission is growing up to be in the, to work in the medical field so that I can help other people with illness, then so it's just something that I need to get over. But that was the adult part of yourself. That was the adult part of yourself talking about saying, you know, it's important for me to do this stuff because because it's going to get me into college and because it's going to help me become a medical professional and because it's going to help all these folks and all the, all of that. All that's true, it's, but you have to remember part of you isn't an adult. Part of you is just a kid. Um, and so, so it's, it's important to be able to say, yeah, all that stuff is important. And you might even want to like, like create a flowchart. And so that's in front of you and you understand the reason, the reason the studying matters is because of the college. And the reason the college matters is because of the medical school. And the reason the medical school matters is because there's these kids or there's these adults that need help and I can help help them. You might want to even have a flowchart that, that draws that out. You might want to make that colorful and you might want to make that big and put that on your wall and so on. That's a great idea. That's a good strategy. But you also need to realize there's a seven-year-old kid inside you that doesn't care. It doesn't care about that. All a seven-year-old kid cares about is, what are we doing today? Maybe if it's a mature seven-year-old kid, all right, what are we doing tomorrow? But that's about it. That's all the kid cares about. 
So you have to deal with yourself on both levels. The adult level, okay, the medical school and all the helping, changing the world and all of that. But the seven-year-old kid, what does the seven-year-old kid need to be reinforced for doing the next right thing? Whatever that is. What does the seven-year-old kid need? And maybe the seven-year-old kid needs, needs that. I mean, what is it that's going to motivate you to do the next step? Because you probably already have the task lists, right? You probably are, you know what the tasks are. So, what would it take to motivate you to do the next thing? And one thing I promise you is that if you are thinking, "Oh, I need to study for four hours," that won't work um, because studying for four hours doesn't happen. At least for real people, it doesn't, right? I mean, it doesn't. It, and so the reality is, we know that no, if I need to study for four hours, I'm gonna have to break that down. I, I, I might need to break it down into four hour chunks and it might need to be four tasks on my list. And then the seven-year-old kid really likes it when I get to the end of the first hour and I check off that item. And in Asana, you get to see this unicorn fly across your screen. I mean, if there's, and it's, that's for the seven-year-old kid, right? That's not for the adult. That's for the seven-year-old kid to say, okay, let's keep on doing this because we need to keep on in this race. We need to keep doing this step and then this step and this step and just realize you're both of those people. You are that really mature person who wants to change the world, but you're also the seven-year-old kid who needs to figure out how do I get this next task done? Thank you. That's good advice. Um, lastly, this is the final segment of the show. It's called Bit. Would you like to share your favorite quote or something that keeps you going? Yeah, you know, I thought about that and I thought I got to squeeze. I got to try to squeeze in two here. One one is is um, the the Simon Sinek quote. And I'll kind of I'll paraphrase what he says that he says being a leader is not about being is not about a title it's not about a position it's not about a salary if you want to be a leader you want to be clear about what's what's important what your life mission is and then you want to take care of the people on your left and on your right and and what that does is it turns you into a servant and that's what a real leader is and it also creates a community of leadership and of servanthood with those people. So you're taking care of that person on your left and that person on your right. And you're asking yourself, what can I do to contribute to them being successful based on their strengths, based on who they are? What can I do to contribute to them succeeding? And, and the more you're doing that, the more you're actually leading. And if you're in a good organization, you're going to find that that's going to lead you to that's going to lead you to to real, I shouldn't say real, that's going to lead you to positional leadership, right? So that's one thing. The other one is, uh, and I actually, I printed it out. This is Brene Brown stuff. Again, it's about leadership, but I love the definition that she has about leadership. Number one, she defines it as anyone who takes responsibility for finding the potential in people and processes and has the courage to develop that, to develop the potential that they find. And so her quote is, leadership is not about titles. It's not about the corner office. It's about the willingness to step up, to put yourself out there, to lean into courage. And the world is desperate for braver leaders. It's time for all of us to step up. 
So those both kind of get at the at a huge part of my life mission, which is about helping people to lead in ways that are going to play to their strengths the most. That's cool. Uh, I think just getting to know you, you seem like the definition of born to be a leader. And I think it's cool that you're helping other people develop those strengths as well. And so that they can become more of a leader in their own life too. Well, thank you again for coming on the show today. I, I enjoyed speaking with you and I, I appreciate you for highlighting strengths. And I think that in a world that likes to focus on negatives and weaknesses, it's a crucial reminder for everyone to remember that we each have our own unique strengths and that we can turn them into our superpowers. So, thank you. Nice, nice, very cool. Again, big shout out to Mr. Michael Beavers for joining me on the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about him and the organization that he's created, please visit mountaincounseling.org. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of the show. I definitely had a lot of fun recording it and make sure to tune in to next week's episode as well.